We got more engagement cards in the mail today. It's starting to become a second job trying to write all these thank you cards out because God forbid you pick up a pen and help write them. Sorry, dear. You need to give me your list for the engagement party. All right. You're going to be on your best behavior. Do you understand me? Mm. Are you even listening to what I'm saying to you? What? What are you doing? I'm watching this video. Chris Jericho won the fucking belt and he lost it. In 24 hours. I'm not saying he lost it in the ring. No, he literally lost the fucking belt. Is this for your stupid podcast? This isn't even paying for our wedding. Why are you such a cranky bitch? If you spend half as much time paying attention to me as you do to this stupid wrestling shit, I wouldn't be so cranky. Oh my god. It's time for another wrestling podcast. Alright, alright, alright. Are you fucking kidding me? Guys, I got blocked again on Twitter. I'm your mark of marks. That's the most reliable source on the interwebs. The social assassin at your disposal, bitches. Of all the fucking things that happened this week, you want to talk about Steve Austin's show? He retweeted me. I was like, he looked like he was on a tweeting roll. So I tweeted something good about his show and he retweeted me. And then all of his followers started liking my post. I was going in for the, I, the good I, tweet. I, I'm sorry. I didn't even watch his show. I was I passed out before Raw ended. <laughs> it's really good. I, I do want to say it's really good. Uh, and right after Raw, I don't know. I enjoyed it. I love watching Steve Austin. And it's, it's like a live podcast. I don't know. Talking, doing some tricks. Or he plays a game. And uh, Becky Lynch stunned him at the end of this episode. But it was pretty good. I enjoy it. I'm enjoying straight up Steve Austin. It's not a bad show. I, I watched that episode very briefly. Uh, a couple minutes here, I caught the end. I was like, hey, you know what? He's uh, he, he seems like he's enjoying himself. It's not the same old, like, yelling and screaming. He's actually not a bad interviewer when he's just relaxed and, and, and chilling. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. I did watch that one episode where he was driving the car and went right into, like, the... The, uh, the ocean or the water and he was just driving around like it was a speedboat that it's a fucking sick ass car if you did not see that episode oh man no and it, it, it's it's something that's finally good on tv i feel like the dudes had so many tv shows but like this one i'm down for i know he had like the redneck ranch or broken skull ranch and then all that other stuff but i don't know i'm digging this one more i, I think that's the bottom line you know, it, it's a great show. I'm enjoying it. But you know what I'm also going to enjoy is that Bill Alfonso, Fonzie, is going to be joining us later. Uh, famous ECW ref, former uh, uh, WWE ref uh, and manager. So ECW days. Fonzie's on the show today, Cooter. What do you think? Oh, Fonzie. That guy is so fucking great. Oh, God. Him with Sabu. Him with RVD. Oh, Jesus. I mean... I remember that match he had with Beulah McGillicuddy. That was a bloody One of my favorite match. matches. It really match. is. Two people who should not be in the ring put on an incredible match. What a fucking amazing bloodbath. No, and, you know, uh, once again, uh, a shout-out to Eric Sims of ESS Promotions, ESSpromotions.com. He's going to have Bill Alfonso at Legends of the Ring on September 21st, along with... Uh, a plethora of other uh, talent there that you guys can meet. Maybe we'll get them on the show. It's no BS, it's ESS. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or would you keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. 
Now, Cooter, now I wouldn't be telling you guys too, to bet with them if, if they weren't the best. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet on this football season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now, and my bookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code AWRESTLING to activate the offer. That's promo code AWRESTLING. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play... You win, you get paid, bitches! Last week we talked about uh, <laughs> the Wednesday Night Wars coming back. AEW versus NXT, but this week, past weekend, we had the first steps of what we're going to see, I guess, because NXT UK had their show on, and then All Out was on. we got to get into this, because they weren't head-to-head, but it was on the same day, and was it kind of a little bit of a competition in that day? Who could have the better show? And uh, if I could get all of us to maybe give like our own thoughts on both shows, uh, what we thought of them real quick, and then we'll go into some other stuff. But uh, at the end of the day, what'd you enjoy the most? And I don't know, what'd you think about the other show that you didn't like? Listen, I, I think we all can agree on one simple thing: Walter versus Tyler Bate was the match of the fucking week, weekend, month. That's that's a candidate for match of the year. Definitely. Definitely was. The the whole weekend was packed with great matches. And I'm going to say this. I did watch All Out in its entirety. I didn't hate it. There were some good things about that fucking show. Um, and there is a lot of shit that really is, is, is annoying. And I don't know if it's just because I'm nitpicking. Or, or maybe the, their style is just not my thing. Hmm. But, ugh. Well, Please. Well, what would you think, Mike? Uh, were you in, would you like All Out or NXT UK better? Um, I, you know, I, fa- I found NXT UK more entertaining for me. Um, All Out was good. I'm not taking anything away from them. I thought it could have been better. I, you know, they they have a difficult time with map match placement. I want to say they they're kind of taking the page out of New Japan, where they have New Japan always has like you know the co-main event the semi-main event and then the main event and that order they don't they don't put a buffer in there uh, but other than that like the omega versus Pac match i really enjoyed i really enjoyed the opening match with luchasaurus marco stunt and uh jungle boy versus scu i mean scu are the perfect guys to open any show and, then, and for some reason, their act still isn't stale because the crowd just feeds into it. And Luchasaurus was a guy, to me, who I really wasn't too familiar with. I actually really enjoyed him in this match. He stood out amongst everybody else. I already know how uh, Marco Stunt is. I know Marco Stunt is crazy. Uh, Jungle Boy, I really haven't seen much from him lately. I mean, the only thing I really know from him, that's Luke Perry's son. Other than that, the latter match was good. I think they kind of tried a little too hard and they did spots that was for me was a little too much, but it wasn't a bad match. The main event was lackluster. I'm not going to lie, but 
When you compare that main event to the UK main event, the NXT UK main event, it's night and day. No, really yeah. Was. Yeah, you know, watching it to where I didn't really know uh, NXT UK as much. I mean, I've seen bits and pieces. I've kind of known the roster, who they are, but I haven't been watching it every week. It, it goes back to a lot of wrestling in a week. but So I watched it going in blind, if you will. Um, and I'll tell you, man, that UK crowd was definitely a lot better than that Chicago crowd, I think, a little bit that night. Just the energy in it makes it a whole other pay-per-view. Uh, and just seeing the fans out there, you know, do what they do best and just fucking be wild and just be that third person out there. So, to me, having that kind of crowd made the UK show a little bit more enjoyable. Uh, Cooter, you mentioned the main event on, uh, on, on NXT. You know, I liked it, but I didn't like all the kind of... I, th- I personally thought there was probably too many false finishes with a big guy like Walter. I liked the match. I think that was, if I'm going to nitpick, it was just, I felt like they dragged it out too much, like too many false finishes for Walter to where a few here and there, it's okay. But then, you know, I think he should have came back a lot stronger, a lot faster. But I mean, How long I, was that thing? They went near damn 50 minutes, didn't yeah, they? About they were, 45 to 50 minutes, yeah. Yeah, man, so, that's a long fucking time. Yeah, so I think that was the only thing. But I guess, you know, that's what's going to happen when you go along with the match. But, you know, uh, that crowd, though, that was the main thing for me. It was just, I think, since I didn't know a lot of the roster on the UK show, I, I that crowd cheering them on just helped me put me into that show a lot more than if I wasn't, you know, just like on my phone or the, the, the shows on, I'm not really into it because I can't really get into it with the crowd kind of a thing. So I thought that was a big, uh, uh, plus for me, but did you guys have like the biggest gripe for me? Like, like I said, uh, I thought maybe too oh. many false finishes oh, for please. that. Oh, please. Wait, 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 wait. The biggest gripe of the weekend. Uh, for the shows. Yeah. For all outer. Oh, this is easy. This is so fucking easy. Jimmy havoc. Fucking Jelly Janella and fucking <laughs> yeah. yeah, I said it and 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 oh and I love this fucking guy, but what's wrong with him? It's oh, nuts. Why are you fucking every time you have to do one of the most dangerous fucking spots? Uh, I know that, he's gonna, that, he's that gonna have guy. back problems. What's his name? Darby Allen. Darby, Darby, that's right. I couldn't think of his first name. Darby Allen. I love this guy, not for the crazy shit that he does, but because what he's able to do. He's quick. He, you know, he he has some innovative maneuvers. He's he's got great in ring psychology. I like the look. You don't need to be jumping off the top of a fucking uh, uh with a barrel on your back <laughs> on a fucking steel set of stairs. It, it there's just no fucking reason for this yeah. you know when he, here, here's the yeah. thing with that here's the thing with that cooter is it, it's crazy he's nuts because he does that every match i mean if you watch, remember the match he had with cody the last yes, event? The pepsi plunge i saw that when we did it yeah. on the apron yeah, necessary. he's nuts and like you know i get it like you're hardcore i love it you're entertaining you can go out there and put on a five-star match you do not have to do that every night to entertain me I don't want to see you at 27 years old paralyzed or anything bad happening. You're good, man. You, you've you earned my respect. You don't have to do this anymore. Once in a while, you could take that out, but not, not all the time. And he's a skateboarder, too. So, I mean, he's taken a lot more falls outside of the ring, too, and fallen while skateboarding. And, I mean, that coffin drop, it was awesome to see somebody do it. You don't see a lot of guys even do that. 
And I think once in a while is great, but man, I think, like I said, I don't hate him. But mm. if he keeps doing that, man, his his wrestling career won't last too long. Yeah. I'll, well, I'll that's one. Not only that, he's gonna end up. It's that fucking move, the coffin drop, is gonna be the the next annoying thing. It's gonna be like Roman doing the Superman punch. He did that that those same back drops that he does all the time, the coffin drops. I watched an Evolve card. They put him in a body bag, hmm. and he did it in a body yes. bag. <laughs> he did not see where he was going, and hmm. he still did this move. <laughs> It's fucking insane. Yeah, I, I mean, like at the end of the day, that's why he probably signed with AEW because you know they wouldn't even be—they would totally—they wouldn't have even used any of this for for him in WWE because they would sell him. Don't do that, man. That's you can't—you're not going to last long doing that. So, um, I gotta yeah. throw something out here real quick. Um, I want to piggyback off of something that Mike said, where he was talking about there being no buffer matches in between those things. Here's the funny thing. I stopped, I paused uh, the pay-per-view because I watched it the day after. I stopped it right after the Bucks match, all right? And then I went and I went and ate something. And I didn't go back until like half hour later. Now, that's the second time I watched the Jericho match because the first time I watched it directly after, I actually watched part of this card twice. The first time I saw it, I'm like, this match was terrible. But when I was watching it practically as a standalone, it's actually a pretty decent fucking match. It's yeah. a lot better than you think it is. But you're comparing it to the fucking car crash that you had just witnessed yeah. right beforehand. You didn't have the opportunity to chill out and, and, and come back down. Well, you know, even when I was watching it, too, to me, uh, you know, uh, we, we mentioned this a lot. I think we all agree why they made uh, Jericho the champion. Uh, name recognition. I mean, you're going into the show, the first show soon. You, you have uh, a name like Chris Jericho to the casual fan. They're going to watch it, right? We get it. Uh, but I'll tell you, man, you have this 49, 49-year-old, 49 I guess, uh, going up against 27-year-old Hangman Page. And I, you know, he's just, you compare body types in a way. If, like, you meet Chris Jericho in person alone, he's fine. But when you put him in the ring with somebody who, like, 20 years younger than him. He's starting to look like flair in that ring. And I'm, I think oh. he's just looking a little bit gassed, if you will. And I, I, I don't think flair ever looked that bad. No, you know? I know, but I feel like he's entering that realm of, you know, dead man walking, old man walking kind of thing. And, <laughs> Trust me, Jericho. I feel like he should leave after this. After he loses the, like, he, I don't know. I, I hang it up he's the boots, a, man. Like, go out on top because he's got a three-year contract with them. He's gonna ride that shit out. Yeah. Oh my god, and that's crazy because you know what? It's it's so it's it's so sad because like he's actually two, right? putting on decent matches. They're they're not. He's not like. It's, it's his look. He looks bad, but he's not performing bad. Mm. So it's like I'm kind of okay with it. It's like that wily veteran. He's like the mangy lion, you know, with his last year at the top of the pride trying to hold on. It's like it's it's, it's kind of cool to me in a way. I think with Jericho, I think with Jericho, he is better with who he's in the ring with. Mm. I think that's what it is because of his age. Like he can't – he's not the Jericho of old – but if you put him in a ring with a guy who can control the pace, like a ring general, in a way, he puts on a better match. I don't see Paige as a ring general. I mean, I think Paige is good, and I don't want to take anything away from him, but he's not great. He still has a lot more improvement, in my opinion, to go. Um, so th that's just my opinion about Jericho. No, yeah, and you know, if if we change the channels back and forth, like the Monday Night Wars, we used to. Uh, if we go back to NXT UK real quick with Cesaro to where 
Oh my god! I'm such a Cesaro fan, and I feel so bad that they haven't put any like a decent push behind him to be a WWE champion or whatever. And when you put him back like in his home area, if you will, overseas with the UK, and the fans like just showing him how like you know that he should be treated, if you will. It's like damn shame for you American fans. Like, come on! Like, this is—he's such a great talent, and he—I love his finisher. But uh, the guy—I uh, don't even know the guy he faced because I, I'm not familiar too much with the names. But he made that guy look rock solid. He put that guy over, even if the guy lost. Like, they—you know—he put on a great match. And I, oh man, I wish something would come from this. And like the next night, he loses on uh, what is it, Raw or SmackDown or whatever. And it's like, come on, no. can't we just get behind like what this dude just did? Flew over to the UK, had a great fucking awesome match, and then he comes back. Well, that's and, why like, he lost. It was fucking jet lag, bro. Oh, there you go. It's <laughs> always gotta uh, be a reason. And they had to put the Miz over because he's going into a program in Nakamura. That's that's the reason why. Which I I, I think that program is terrible. To be honest with you. But don't um, you think if you're going to do that, there's somebody better I know. to help Why get them over Cesaro. than Cesaro? I, I, that, I can completely agree with you I mean, on that. Put in Shelton Benjamin or fucking some scrub. <laughs> I mean, we got Zack Ryder. Dust that motherfucker off and throw him in the ring. <laughs> Kurt Hawkins, somebody from the B team. I don't care. Well, okay, well, let's go back because... Uh, you know, the UK show was great. They had a lot from the whole ring breaking, uh, Cesaro showing up, even their main event. You know, a lot of different elements to their show. Especially that triple the tag was amazing, too. Yeah, man. Everything on it. Like, it was, like I said, going into this blind, not knowing the guys, not really, you know, like 100% behind them, if you will. Like, just watching it uh, and absorbing it for what it was. A great fucking show, but... Was there anything you thought these guys had to improve on this weekend, whether it's NXT or just AEW show? Because uh, I know some of the, the graphic guys in the back were fonting the wrong names. And oh, God. A little Who bit was like... it? Who did they have Jimmy Havoc's name out there? Was jo- was Joey Janela, I think it was. Darby Allen walking out, at, yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. All right. Came out with Jimmy Havoc's name or some shit like that. Well, I mean, watching it, though, do you think, like, AEW will be... Like, to me, it, it, it literally reminds me of the way WCW was filmed. Just the lighting. This, I feel like they have the same people who used to work on the other show. Uh, it's, to me, like, you know... They actually it, it, do have a couple of people from WCW. Shivani was talking about it. Because it contrasts well. I mean, like, you, you, when you watch WWE, you know you're watching it. And when you watch AEW now, I feel like you're wa- you know that it's not WWE, but... I don't know. Is there anything that's like you think they should still improve on more? Match placement. I think they. The one thing that I can give the WWE credit for is that they are very good at match placement. Meaning, you know, you have crazy match. You have a buffer match that kind of brings the crowd back down, kind of gives them some time to relax, and then you gives them that crazy main event. I think for them trying to take a page out of New Japan Pro Wrestling where it's just like you have one decent opening match and every other match is just least important, semi-important, important, then it's a semi-main event, co-main event, main event. It's like in that order, it it's it kind of... I could tell how the fans are. I mean, for me, it was a little bit of exhausting. You know, it. I think match placement is one thing they need to do. I think they have to really figure out their hardcore division hopefully they're not doing those crazy spots every wednesday night because that's it's gonna really be weird well was it long to you too because i mean i was gonna say that for me it was long hard length it was it was long i mean yeah i mean at midnight if you watch it live dude we're getting tired 
watching Raw for three hours. Uh, to, for a four-hour pay-per-view, it's just too fucking much. Ain't WrestleMania, baby. <laughs> WrestleMania is... You can't compare fucking... No, of course. To Peach Pits, motherfucker. Peach Come Pits. on, now. Let's go back to this whole Jericho losing the belt, because this is ridiculous. <laughs> the best when I first saw it, I'm like... It's it's it wasn't like everywhere and it just started on this one site that reported it and then like another site picked it up and then another site and then a legitimate news source picked it up I'm like he is fucked like it's just spreading like wildfire then this motherfucker comes back sitting in a fucking hot tub with, with his pompadour or whatever hat on Torn and the bubbly <laughs> and he he talks about it actually being like an international crisis or whatever and I'm like I would feel so embarrassed to even acknowledge that you fucking lost the championship uh, <laughs> and I'm arguing with people. I'm like, why the fuck did he even take the championship? It's not like they're going on tour or traveling anywhere, or he's like has a show next week or tomorrow. Fucking AEW keep it because they valued this fucking thing at twenty nine thousand dollars twenty nine thousand two hundred fifty dollars. Uh, was the the police reporter that they valued it valued it at? And they're saying right now that a good Samaritan who found it on the side of the road who discovered it turned it into the police. Are you telling me that this mother, this the person who turned it in was the, actually the guy who fucking found? I feel like that's the guy who took it and then just said he found it just to turn it in. But man, I'll tell you story behind this. If I was the guy that found it, I would be taking a lot of selfies with that fucking thing, <laughs> like pictures, everything I could possibly do. And yeah, I would return it, but I would wait to, before I post those pictures. For what is it, the stat, statue limitations, where they can't do shit to me <laughs> after possession that. nine tenths of the law. Yeah, I, you know I I found this to be one of the greatest stories ever in this week. I mean, I just the fact that he went where, where he went to a Longhorns, he and he left it in the limo, and then. <laughs> I guess his bags got mixed up with other people's bags. Is it? I, I, am I saying this correctly? Or correct me if I'm wrong. And then when he came back, the the title was gone. And the one of the funniest things I I, I found about it is that AEW and everybody just kind of went along with it, <laughs> rather than just kind of like sulking over it. And then the the promo with Jericho making it to an international crisis, I thought was great. I can't believe they only had one belt, too. I figure if they got it made, they would have, like, another one just in case this would happen, you know. Or, hell, man, it's 2019. I can't believe they don't even put, like, GPS trackers in these fucking things now. So, like, <laughs> if it's $29,000, you're going to let somebody just carry it around and, like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm like, dad mode over here trying to figure out why they, uh... They they only have one and they couldn't even track it down or whatnot. But oh my god, he's a fucking idiot. Can we just say it? How can you be fucking stupid? I've never lost my belt that holds up my pants. <laughs> I, and I've been drunk plenty fucking times. You've seen me, Credo. Mike, you too. You've seen me in some pretty shitty fucking situations that I put myself into, usually involving a shitload of vodka and some laughs. Have I ever lost my fucking belt? How am I going to lose a huge title belt like that? You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have left it inside the limo. Man. Uh, I, I would have took that shit with me. Yeah. Or like, that shit would have been right by my side. Don't they have like a bag for it or something? You know, like, yeah, but, it... I, but did you – you guys read the police report, right? Yeah, yeah. So apparent, apparently he got his bags mixed up with someone else's 
And that, so I don't know if his belt was in that bag. Just imagine, like, you got Trying off a that. flight and you take you get your bag and you open it. <laughs> And there's a, a leather jacket with spikes, <laughs> an AEW world title. How do you explain that to your wife, Greedo? <laughs> I know. I, man, I I don't know. Poor Jericho. But not off to a great start, I guess, as world champion. But, guys, you know, uh, other things that happened this weekend, too, which we didn't talk about. They had some StarCast uh, interviews going on, too, uh, at All Out this weekend. And one of the biggest ones was CM Punk. Uh, who came back? And I love I love watching all interviews with CM Punk. I just love the way he talks, what you know, how he answers his questions. And one of the questions that he opened up about was that you know he would be open to talks with WWE or anyone. I think that's one of your biggest reasons why Mr. Punk did not sign with AEW because now he can use them as a leverage to get even more money from WWE of going back. And you know Vince has brought back some people you thought he would never bring back from fucking Bret Hart. Uh, as one of them, you know, uh, and a handful of others that have like, you know, come and gone through the years. And from what CM Punk did is, I don't know, pennies compared to what of others that have done through the years. So I don't know. I think it's smart business. I mean, I don't see CM Punk fighting again, uh, but him, I mean, he's, he's a little bit older now, but at the same time, I think if you brought Punk back to, to do some kind of matches, that's a good competition you know that's a good name to put up against your aews or whatever and to keep people interested i don't know do you guys think wwe would be smart enough to pay punk for whatever he wants i guess i mean the fucking dude still gets chance cm punk uh, at shows where he's not even out anymore i don't think he wants to wrestle anymore why would you i mean i i think that last run killed his love for the business and if if you feel that way and your heart's really not into it, then he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy where if his heart isn't in it 100% that he's not going to do it. Do you know, I, I don't see him as somebody who's just going to go in there and half-ass it for a, for a payday. I, I don't think that's who he is. I, I think, you know, it's, it would be a great motivating factor, but, but he just seems to me the type of guy where it's like, hey, you know what, if I'm going to do this, you know, I'm gonna train my fucking ass off. I'm gonna get back in the shape, and and, and give what I got left. He he did seem happy though. He did take a lot more uh, happy pictures than John Moxley did a few weeks ago. So <laughs> all the pictures I saw coming out of Starcast, he was actually happy to be with his fans. I you know what I mean if he said he's interested, like he'll be interested to going to talks with either WB or whoever. I think if the WB was smart, they would negotiate something with him just to keep him away from going to AEW and then use him correctly. Give him the Brock Lesnar deal. Let him show up whenever. Because I think he's at that point where he can. I don't want to see him fight again just for his safety and my sanity. MMA, right? (laughs) It's no more MMA fights. Yeah, I don't want to see that because his last fight was the drizzling shits. I give him credit terrible. for doing it. I, but yeah, terrible, but I yeah. give him credit for doing it. But at the same time, like, just just take take away with it what it was and as an experience to where, hey, man, you had the balls to do it. I fucking wouldn't do I, that. Good job, man. I will man. say this. I will say this. When I saw that video of him in the wrestling ring just kind of rolling around, yes. it kind of it was a good feeling to see. Like yeah. I, I, maybe it was just me. I don't know how you guys felt, but it was it was actually really cool to see him actually in a ring with a smile on his face and just having fun. Yeah. What was the line he said during that video? Where it was like, 
unlike some people, I'll actually be happy to see my fans. Yeah. Or I'll actually smile during pictures. <laughs> yeah. Like, did, 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 was he listening to us? I mean, really? I know, right? <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you, fantastic. anything can happen in wrestling, and I think that's a really big possibility. Um, like I said, you know, maybe that's why I'm sure AEW had to have talked to him, especially him being there for some kind of a deal, um, which we'll probably never know about. But at the same time, I'll tell you, I think it's smart for him right now to hold out because if WWE's got that Wakuter. That fuck money, baby. That green and black. A lot more than AEW does, and I think they could throw it around a lot easier than what they could right now. So, I don't know. I'll be interested to see if anything comes from this. If not, then it was nice to see him, I guess, at least one more time. I think WWE's desperate because they got, you know, Fox going, Fox yeah, happening yeah. this month, and they got to bring something big. Cena's not there. Ratings. Yeah, they need somebody. They need some more. Like, that's why they're bringing Steve Austin back next week uh, for Raw and all that stuff to where Undertaker, Undertaker next week at the Garden for SmackDown. Both ni- too. And both nights aren't even sold out. Yeah, man. I was talking to a guy today, too. Is what that true? Yep, both nights are still not sold out. Well, I guarantee you the ticket prices, if we went on there, we'd be like, get the fuck out of here. I guarantee you that's what it is. Steve Austin's oh, on Raw prices. and Taker's on uh, SmackDown. So SmackDown, yeah. So they're bringing like, those names in. but So it's it's funny you bring up ticket prices because I was listening to something. A ticket broker was kind of breaking down a, a night going to a WWE event. Just say it's you and a family of four. Okay? That's about roughly for uh, for decent seats can all together – can be about five hundred dollars yep. right there, maybe a little more. That doesn't include your transportation, whether you're taking a train in, bus, or you're traveling, tolls, gas, and all that. Plus, when you get there, you might want to get souvenirs, food, all that. That's a thousand dollars you could possibly be spending mm. on one night over there. It's it's a lot of money, man. It's not like going right. to the circus or something like that. You know, it's it's the human circus, but it's it's expensive, man. <laughs> So, you know, a lot of good stories coming out of this, but I think one of the greatest things we saw this week, uh, which I, I feel like they dropped the ball already on, was the Bailey heel turn. I mean, we never got John Cena to turn heel. They wouldn't turn Roman heel, even though they did some other stuff with him, but we got a Bailey, the fucking only kid-friendly person you really have on there, her whole gimmick oh is hugging God. people. Are you really going here? To turn heel. Uh, and it, I'll tell you what, that moment, the fans were cheering, they were like, finally, on Raw, to see her turn bad, and I thought it was gonna bring out, she's gonna put the ponytail down, she's gonna come out with new music, change it up, and that would've been a great refresher for her, uh, especially working with Sasha Banks again, but the next night on SmackDown, she comes out to her wibbly-wobbly things floating in the air, her same music, the same fucking ponytail, and I'm like... She's supposed to be a heel. She, you know, she had a heel turn, and this is like a big thing for a person that, you know, I don't know. That's the kid-friendly person, and I don't know. It's only been two days, but I feel like they already ruined it on SmackDown after they had such a great uh, ending on Raw. Credo, credo, credo. It was a great ending. I loved it. I, I thought the the ending to Raw was amazing, and I'll agree with you. I thought it was weird. At first, I thought it was weird that she came out to the same music, but part of me is like, well. Maybe she hasn't completely mm. hit that fucking, you know, that brick wall yet. It's like they're slowly building her as a fucking – because you've noticed this. Like when she kicked Charlotte out of the chair, what was that, two weeks ago? Yeah. That was not like something she would typically do. She's been more of a bitch lately, like the whole Alexa Bliss and, and, and Nikki Cross angle that they had going on there. They had her be a little bit more edgier than what she's ever been. So I think – you know, in hindsight, I think 
this, they're, 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 they're going somewhere with it and they don't want her to be Miss Badass all together yeah. all at once. You know what I'm saying? They, they, they want to slowly get there. And, that, and that's great because lately, Monday Night Raw and, and, and SmackDown have both had, from beginning to end, very good builds throughout the whole show. Mm. I watched through through Monday when I, when, when I saw that. I was like, holy shit. I didn't realize that that was the end of the fucking show. It flew by for me. Yep. It's definitely, we're definitely seeing the, the handprints of uh, Paul Heyman and uh, maybe Eric Bischoff a little bit on SmackDown. So it's a nice, uh, you could see, you could definitely tell other, you know, things are turning backstage with these guys and hopefully changing the shows around. My, my whole, my only issue with the turn is that she's in mid storyline with Charlotte. Yeah. That's the only thing. Other than that, I, I, I've been wanting to see something with Bailey. Anything. Something. She's all treble, no bass. I just want to see something happen with this girl. Finally, it's happening. It just my only problem is my, my little pet peeve or my nitpicking at this is that she's still in a feud with a heel. So I, I would rather have seen maybe a double turn happen at Clash of Champions or this happen after Clash of Champions. But in mid-feud, it, it, for me, and this is me, I don't know how you guys feel, but for me, it's just a little weird. It just comes off really weird, that's all. No, yeah, a little weird, a, a little excitement for a Bailey heel turn. Uh, hopefully, we'll see her go full heel. I guess she, she's got to go full heel sooner or later, but uh, regardless, guys. Uh, last week, we welcomed back Jonathan Benjamin. You call him JB, back to another wrestling podcast, and he had... The pleasure of sitting down with Bill Alfonso, talking a little bit about everything. And guys, I think uh, next time we're in Florida, we have an invite to visit some strip clubs with Fonzie. So uh, oh, keep, baby. keep that open. But uh, right now, we have Bill Alfonso. Today with us is a legendary referee, performer, manager, and the man who calls it right down the middle. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Bill Alfonso. Oh, thanks, Daddy, for the super introduction, Daddy. Hey, uh, the people call me a legend, but one thing for sure, I'm a legend in my own mind. <laughs> How did you get your beginning in the business? Were you a fan starting out, or did you just kind of happen upon wrestling one day? My friend, my, my dad was, uh, his one of his friends was a sports editor, and I live in Tampa. I was born and raised in Tampa, so... Uh, Tampa was a real hotbed for wrestling when I was growing up, but I didn't know that. So my dad went to lunch with a sports editor, and he, the sports editor, Frank Klein, he used to write the results of wrestling, Tuesday Night Wrestling, in the paper Wednesday morning. And they used to comp him a couple of tickets for the Tuesday night event. So my dad came home after having lunch with him, and he said, Hey, Billy, I got tickets to wrestling my friend Frank Klein gave to me. I said, Wrestling? What the heck is that? Never heard of it. I was I guess I was about 12 years old, 13 maybe. And uh, so I said, I'm not interested. I've never seen it on TV. I've never watched it. I'm not familiar with it at all. So they sat on the fireplace all weekend. And finally, curiosity got me. I said, well, let me take my buddy. We're going to go see what this is all about. My first night at wrestling, I fell in love with it. It was Bobby Shane, Eddie Graham, The Great Malenko, Bobo Brazil. Uh, guys like that, and I said, damn, love it. That's what I wanted to do. But I grew up to be 155. Oh, and I went from the age of 12 or 13 till 17 or 18, and I started 
I met a bunch of guys, Rocky Johnson, King Curtis, John Morocco. I met all these guys. And I was dying to get into wrestling, but I was way too small. I was like a buck fifty-five soaking wet. And they said, hey, Bonzi, you're going to make us a great referee one day because you love the business. You're small. You're going to make us look big. And uh, that's how I got started. And then Rocky Johnson and King Curtis got me uh, booked, kind of booked, in Dallas, Texas. And I went out there for the Von Erichs, for Kelly Blancer's dad, Joe Blancer, uh, the Funks and Amarillo and Paul Bosch in Houston. So I worked for those guys, but small. I worked for them a few times out out there six months, but they already had David Manning, Bronco Lubitsch, and a few other referees. So it was really hard for me to get a full-time job. I think out of the six months, I might have worked five or six shows. And uh, I said, well, let me, let me just go home because this isn't working out. And on my, when I was leaving... Paul Jones, um, who just recently passed away a year or two ago, he said, hey, Fonzie, I heard you're leaving, you know, you can't get work, there's all the referees here, so we can't use you, but he said, uh, Dustin's the booker in Florida, and Jerry Briscoe is the assistant booker, he says, when you go home, go to the office and tell them that I sent you, and that you worked, you know, for Joe Blancher, uh, Paul Bloss, the on Eric and the Funks, and so I did that. And Jerry Briscoe said to me, he said, "Unfortunately, uh, Bill Alfonso, we have our full-time referees, but leave your name with the guy downstairs, Charlie Lay, and if we can happen to use you, maybe during the summer for some odd reason, we'll give you a call." I said, "Well, thank you very much. I was disappointed." And so this was on a Monday. Tuesday morning, they call me, and they ask me, say, hey, can you come down and referee for us Tuesday night at the Fort Homer Hesterly Armory, which is a famous armory Tuesday night. Uh, Dusty Main Event, the Assassins, just so many names on the card. So I said, of course, thank you. What happened was, on Monday, they were in West Palm Beach wrestling, and the referee who was working full-time for him, had the three top matches, the main event, the same main event, and the third match, third top match. They had him, the referee had him in his car with no spare. Dusty fired him. They, they had to cancel the show because, and it was sold out. Dusty was so freaking mad, he fired the guy in the spot, which he should have. That's how I got to work Tuesday night. Then Wednesday night, Thursday night, Jacksonville, Wednesday, Miami, Thursday, Jacksonville. Friday was like Ocala, uh, and it went on. And so Sunday came around, and Jerry Briscoe came up to me and says, Hey, we want you to work for us full-time. And since May of 1980, I've had a full-time job for over 20 years with all the major companies. Florida State Wrestling, which was a big company back in the time, uh, Mid-Atlantic, or Jim Crockett. Then I went to Channel 17, the Superstation, before it was CBS. Then I worked for WCW. Then I went to Vince. Then, uh, obviously, I ended up at ECW, which you guys know about. And now I'm semi-retired. Well, So that's how I got into wrestling. 
That's uh, that's an incredible story, and uh, it sounds like not only were you ready to go, but uh, also one of those right place, right time moments. As far as being a referee during that time, that's still kind of when you were breaking in, it was still part of the territory system that we know about. So what were your thoughts on the territory system? Obviously, you're in one, sometimes you'd be in one city, uh, the next time you'd be in another, as you mentioned, like, does it take a special kind of person to be able to go through the territory system like that? Yes. And you better be on your A game because for referees, there's very limited jobs. And for wrestlers, there's very limited. Well, there was more places to go back then, you know, because the Florida was a territory, Georgia was a territory, Mid-Atlantic, the Carolinas. Texas was a territory, uh, Kansas City was a territory, Oregon, California, all these different ter- territories you can go to, you know. The wrestlers could move around, go in for six months or a year and work the territories, and, and all the territories would interact with each other, especially the NWA sanction, which was the big league. But up north, it was WWWF and, and then Vern Gagne, AWA. So you had places to go, which was fantastic. And, yeah, it takes a special breed you to be able to, to travel like that. Uh, for instance, every Monday night in Florida was West Palm Beach, which was a 200-mile trip. There, 200 miles back, plus you're at the arena for four hours and, you know, working hard. Uh, every Tuesday night was Tampa. and the, We were all based out of Tampa. That's where the office was. The Florida uh, Championship Wrestling Office was in uh, Tampa. Uh, we would take TV and of course, the famous Armory every Tuesday night. Every Wednesday was Miami, 250 down, 250 back. Then every Thursday night was Jacksonville, 200 miles up, 200 miles back. Then Friday was usually a spot show, so it was Saturday. And then Sunday was Orlando. And it would repeat itself, and there was no days off. We were working 355 days a year or more. So, yeah, it takes a special talent i mean the uh, you know it's hard it's really tough but once you get going and you're used to it it, it gets you know it gets uh easy because you know that's what you do did you have specific people that you traveled with during that time or Ab- absolutely but you got to remember i would leave i was stationed in florida now the wrestlers would come in for a period of time and then they would leave uh, but I would, you know, they'd be there for a long time. So I used to ride a lot with uh, uh, Captain Sullivan, uh, Angela Mosca, Sir Oliver Humperdinck. And then, they, you know, if they left, then we would fit somebody in there, Jack the Snake Roberts, uh, Jimmy Garvin. It just changed, not all the time, but, you know, six months to a year, that was about your time period that the guys would go through different territory. Now, when you started out and you you know you got your your break and you were refereeing, were there people that were upset about you being a referee, or were they you know they glad that you were there because you really took it seriously? No, they were actually glad I was there. And at the end of the week, when I started on that Tuesday, at the end of the week, when Jerry Briscoe says we'd like to hire you, you interested? Of of course, I said yes. Um, they had filtered me out. They had looked at me all week. And, you know, I was really good. I had known the business already because I was a big fan for years. But I didn't know all the inner workings of it. I didn't know all the lingo, but my time in 
uh, Texas for the six months, I got to learn a lot. But I was such a natural that uh, either, you know, like, let me give you, for instance, Lex Luger. He's a wrestler, right? And he's beautiful. What a body. I mean, he was phenomenal. But he wasn't a natural. It was very hard for him in the ring. You know, he wasn't a spectacular worker. The same with Giant Gonzalez. He was so big. You know, he didn't have the psychology. And it, it just, but uh, so even if you train for two years, five years on the road, and you're not a natural, it's still hard for you to take a backdrop. It's still hard for you to do things which looks fantastic. You know what I mean? Some matches are great. You can tell when somebody's not a great worker. But, you know, Luger had that fantastic body, and they gave him a big push, but he wasn't that great of a worker. So thank God. He was a good-looking kid and had a good body. But, yeah, I was a, so I would say I was a natural. And the people in Florida, the office, Eddie Graham owned this company, and that's who was booker, Jerry Briscoe, and Jack, they all liked me. I was a likable guy, I guess, because, I've, you know, I've had a job so long. If you're not liked in this business, you don't last long. You've mentioned basically just a who's who of professional wrestlers and professional wrestler talent. Um, you've worked with Eddie Graham. You said the Funks and... Briscoes and Dusty Rhodes, people who are listening today, a lot of them may be familiar with all of those, but for people who aren't familiar with them, can you give us any stories of, you know, some of your, some of the things you learned from, from these people during that time in Florida? Well, Dusty was the booker. He was the boss and he was very, um, I mean, he had his ways and, um, so here's a story about Dusty. Um, that I did make, the, you, you don't make the same mistake twice. If you do, it's your fault and you may not have a job. You know, you can make a mistake two or three times. We're only human, but there's people to take your place. You don't want to make any mistakes. So, um, I came into, we're driving to Orlando and the, we had to be there at seven o'clock. The match started at eight. They give you plenty of time to get dressed. And as a referee, I had many different, uh, things that I had to do, like uh, make sure all the guys were there. And back then, the bad guys, the heels and the baby faces wouldn't get dressed together. So as a referee, I had to go to the booker, sit down with him, and he'd give me the list of the matches. I mean, the matches were already done way in advance, but give me a list of the matches for that night, give me all the finishes, give me things that he wanted to do during the match. And then I would have to carry him over to the other dressing room because they had no communication. There was no cell phones back then. They couldn't talk. So it was the referee's obligation and my job to do that. So, and Dusty wanted us there at 7 o'clock. Not 8, it's about 7.30. He was very punctual. And so I got there at 7. I would get there at 7. I said, I want Dusty. But it took a little while for me to get really good and to be able to remember all these things. But not long. I was a natural, like I said, and I was really good at it. And I adapted really quick. If I didn't, I wouldn't have a job. So I'd get there at 7. Dusty would give me all the finishes. I'd go over to the heels and give them the finish. By 7.15, I was done. And I had 45 minutes to get dressed and so on and so on. And there was always two referees, but I was the main referee. So um, one time I got there at 7.15. And Dusty, was, he said, Fonzie. It's 
I said, sorry, Dusty, the line to get in here, the traffic was uh, uh, bad, uh, the place is sold out. Uh, and he said, hey, leave an hour early. I don't want to be late again. And I was never late again. I left her. I'd rather be an hour earlier than five minutes late, especially with Dusty, especially anywhere with Vince McMahon. You don't want to be late. You know what I mean? You don't want to be late to your plane at the airport. You miss your freaking flight. So, you know, that taught me a lot. So, in life, that, you know, it worked out. I'm always early. I'd rather be early than late. So. Oh. That's uh, that's great advice for anybody listening as well who are breaking into the business. But um, you you just mentioned uh, you know WWF WWF Vince McMahon. Um, we're based out of the Northeast, and obviously that's where WWF uh, WWE now is based out of as well. Um, can you know? Can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with the WWF back then? Well, uh, let me lead up to it because. Uh, I was in WCW. The Florida Championship Wrestling had every all the territories were kind of folding because cable was taken off. The Superstation Channel 17, TBS, Vince went uh, nationwide, you know, with uh, his cable system. And all the little territories were folding up. Thank God I was well-liked and Dusty took with me to WCW in Atlanta and worked for Ted Turner, made tremendous money, and had a good run there. But Dusty had left. I was there a few years. Dusty had left the territory, went somewhere else. Where I forget where he went. But um, So uh, there was a new guy that was like the CEO of WCW. They brought him in. His name was Jim Hurd. He was like a CEO of a Pizza Hut chain or some big company. He was... A real big shot at you know a big uh, uh, you know big pizza hut chain, not two pizza huts. I mean, he was in charge of every pizza hut in the freaking nation. You know what I mean? He was the guy, so he was good with money and all that. So they brought him in to shave some of the big deficit, uh, the big expense. Uh, um, and Ted Turner owns CNN, owns the Hawks, owns the Brave. Owns Pete Street, owns half of Atlanta, multi-billionaire. But who likes to spend $60 million a year when you can spend fifty-five? You know what I mean? So they brought Jim Hurd in to take a pay cut. I mean, to, to try to, you know, shave some of the big expenses off. So he came to me, and I was taking care. I was Giant Gonzalez's personal assistant for three years. So they wanted... Me and the Giant and a few other people to take a pay cut. So, uh, say the Giant was making two hundred a year for the first year. Second year he was going to make three hundred. The fourth year he was going to make four hundred a year. And uh, say I was making a hundred, it was going to go up to about buck twenty-five and a buck fifty, so on and so on. So they say, hey, Fonzie and the Giant, we want you to take a pay cut because that's what we're going to do. And the Giant didn't want to take a pay cut. Who wants to take a pay cut? We already had signed the contract for that big money. Absolutely. So the Giant was kind of frazzled. He said, Fonzie, what are we going to do? He said, I don't want to take a pay cut. I said, me either. But, you know, we may not have a job if we don't. He says, do you know anybody in WWF? I said, I certainly do. I said, I know J.J. Dillon. He's Vince McMahon, 
assistant, personal assistant, and he's one of the big bosses there. I can give him a call and tell him what's going on. He said, why don't you do that? And we were at my house in Florida because the giant had to have a little foot surgery. So we were at, in Tampa for like 10 days so he can recoup. Uh, and he said, finally, we can go. I can go to Japan and work, you know, uh, you know, 10 weeks a year in Japan and be happy. Oh, I can go back and play basketball for the European basketball. Or maybe we're lucky we can go to WWF. So I said, well, let me give J.J. a call. So I called J.J. I hadn't seen J.J. in a while, you know, maybe a year or whatever. But, you know, I've worked with J.J. for years in Florida. He was Dusty's assistant booker for a long time. So I called the WWF office at the time. I said, hey, J.J., gentlemen, please. So there's a sailor, Fonzie. So J.J. gets on the phone. Hey, Fonzie, how you doing? I see my family, you know, something brief for a minute. Hey, what can I do for you? And I said, well, here's the situation. This is what I told you. I said, you know, Jim Hurd's a new guy. He's a new CEO of WCW. He wants us to take a pay cut. The Giant doesn't want to. Our options are European basketball, maybe go to Japan, or come to you guys. And we're a package deal. I said, you got to have a personal assistant. He doesn't drive. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. I've been with him two years already. And he says, I understand, Fonzie. He says, well, let me run it by Vince and see if he's interested in you guys. And I said, okay, JJ, thank you so much. And we, you know, said our goodbyes and hung up. And I said, Giant, you know, I made my spill to JJ, but, you know, he's going to call us back one day. Maybe, maybe not. You know how that goes. 20 minutes later, he calls me back and says, Fonzie, Vince is definitely interested when can you guys come up? He wants to talk to you guys. I said, well, we're at my house. Giant's got a little foot surgery, so we can come up anytime. And he said, okay, I'll have you two round-trip tickets, you know, uh, e-tickets tomorrow. So I said, well, the Giant's got to go first class because he's eight foot tall, and I'll go cold. He said, oh, we'll put you both in first. I said, oh, thank you. So we went up the next day. Giant was excited, and so was I. I've never met Vince, you know what I mean? I'm a Southern guy by nature of work because I worked in Florida, worked for WCW, you know, uh, I never met Vince. So we fly up, we get off the plane, everybody looks at the giant, he's eight foot tall. You know what I mean? He's a wonder. If you don't know who he is, you say, damn, he's a, actually he was the tallest athlete on the planet for those few years that he was in wrestling. Nobody was taller than him. Now I think the kid in Houston, the basketball player, the, what's his name, Ming or something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He played a little bit of ball in Houston. He's about as tall as Daggins uh, House. But anyway, we'd get looks everywhere we go. Uh, so we get off the plane, and there's Spike Lee at the airport. We do a double knockout with Spike Lee. And Spike Lee just looks at, you know, Spike's at all the basketball games. You see him all the time on TV, at the, you know, in New York. Yeah. Uh, he was amazed at the giant. He said he's never seen nobody that big before me, before the kid in Houston, the basketball player. He said, man, who is that guy? I said, well, we're wrestling guys. I'm a referee. And he gave me his card and wanted me to call him later, but we couldn't do that because we were under contract. You know what I mean? But anyway, so we go to Vince's house. Vince isn't there. J.J. Dillon meets us. Instead of going to the office, the memo picks us up and takes us right to Vince's 
multi-million dollar home uh, uh, in Connecticut. We flew into the LaGuardia. Uh, and J.J. Dillon answered the door and he said, hey, Vince is running a few minutes late, but come on in, make yourself comfortable. We got some drinks and some food ready for you guys. And, and uh, so we started bullshitting and, you know, 20 minutes later, in comes Vince with his beautiful suit on and his tennis shoes and uh, not a hair out of place. Way, guys. You know, he's big shot. Uh, and he's real loud, and he's the guy. He's the man. So he walks in, introduces himself. He says, oh, I know you. You're hell of a, you're athletic. I've seen you on TV before. I said, thank you, uh, Mr. Dan. He said, oh, call me Vince. And then he went to the Giants, and we started talking and that. He said, well, what's the deal? And I told him. Jim Hurd wants to take a pay card. He says, uh, well, I'm definitely interested, and I want to hire you guys. And uh, Giants says to Vince, he says, well, they still owe me a big check. I haven't collected $60,000. And Vince says, don't even go back to WCW. Don't even go back to Atlanta. JJ, write him a check for 60 grand. That's a signing bonus. Wow. Great. So, and the giant says, hey, uh, Vince, um, I haven't been home in three years for Christmas. This is like November, you know. I haven't been home for three years. Uh, he says, can I start sometime in January? And Vince says, of course. That'd give me plenty of time to think of your gimmick and all that. Which, you know, he put that giant Gonzalez thing on him. Uh, uh, the hair suit and all that. So, he says, Fonzie, do you want to start in January too? With, uh, I said, no, sir. I said, I live in Florida. He lives in Argentina. I can start anytime. He says, JJ, add him on to the booking sheet. So JJ adds me on. I got a full-time job. I'm going to work and get acclimated until the giant comes in January. So I'll be acclimated to the company and everything. And JJ starts writing my schedule down. He puts, uh, MSG. I said, JJ, what the fuck is MSG? Never heard of that. He said, Fonzie, that's Madison Square Garden. <laughs> I said, Get me, okay, thank you. So we were there for, uh, we missed WrestleMania 8. We did WrestleMania 9, WrestleMania 9, and then we missed WrestleMania, we left right before WrestleMania 10, which I think was in Madison Square, but had a tremendous run there. It was fantastic, made fantastic money. Vince liked me a lot. Uh, so that's how we get to WWF. Well, um, as I mentioned, you know, we're up in the Northeast. We're based out of Poughkeepsie, New York. Um, and, you know, oh, yeah, Poughkeepsie. That's, uh, I've ran that show, that building many times with ECW. Yes, and I was just wondering, you know, just off the top of your head, if you have any specific Poughkeepsie, uh, Poughkeepsie memories. Well, we knocked out, ben, we, had, uh, we did a pay-per-view there. Uh, I loved Poughkeepsie. There was a, we'd get there, we had a big pay-per-view, ECW had a pay-per-view, was RVD against Jerry Lynn, and they were having spectacular matches. I mean, like classic matches. They were just perfect together. And, um, so, you know, at the pay-per-view, they want you there early, you know, uh, so we, you know, one o'clock, they got catered food, they don't want you to leave the building and so on, but, uh, but anyway, I was walking around downtown Poughkeepsie a little bit, and, Found this little deli and hung out with this fat blonde girl, which was beautiful. She was just a little heavy on the bottom, which I like. But uh, uh, we became good friends. I, I love Poughkeepsie. It was a good, good venue for us. Good for ECW. And I think I might have went there with Vince too, maybe for a TV or something. But 
Poughkeepsie was always good for us. And so that night on the pay-per-view, Van Damme had gave uh, that Van Terminator and knocked him out cold. Oh, my God, what do we do now? It's like only 10 minutes into the match, and they want 30 minutes. And so we had to revive Jerry Lynn. And so I forgot how we did it, but we did it, and we carried on with the match. So that was a crazy night for, you know, what we thought we could. Actually, I thought Van Dam killed him because when he gave him that move, <laughs> the kid went down. I mean, not a kid, but, you know, Jerry Lynn went down, and he wasn't moving at all. And I went right over to him. I always had a bottle of water with me to feed my guy, Van Dam. But I was giving him water, pouring water on his face and head. He wasn't moving. Us. And I couldn't tell because we were all hyped up, sweaty, and, you know, all, uh, uh, the adrenaline was flowing. But I thought we killed Jerry Lynn in Poughkeepsie. But eventually he came too. Scary, scary five minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, ECW is made a permanent mark on not only the history of professional wrestling, but really the history of pop culture and, you know, stuff still comes out about it um, nowadays. And, you know, it really influenced a lot of things, uh, you know, the attitude era of WWE and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, you were a major part of ECW and, uh, you know, we just jumped forward a little bit, but how did you get your, your start with ECW? Well, um, I was friends with Paul Heyman. Well, uh, uh, eventually in Florida Championship Wrestling, I became uh, a really well-known referee. I became a really well-known office guy. They took me into the office. So I was part of the office after a while. Not the first couple of years, but, you know, I had to earn my keep. And I got to be very good and was uh, writing... Uh, uh, TVs and we're working with Dusty hand in hand. I mean, every TV I was sitting there with the JJ Dillon and Dusty and you know do all my stuff and I became pretty well known. So I was assistant booker, and this wrestler came down to Florida and his name was Tombstone. He was out of Baltimore, real nice body, and this kid came with him who I never met. And it was Paul Heyman, and Paul. uh was going to ride with Tombstone for six months while Tombstone was there. And just kind of like me in Houston, I mean, in, in uh, Texas, trying to get a job, doing whatever. Uh, I think he was a photographer or whatever, but he didn't take pictures when he came to Florida. But he was just a friend of Tombstone's wrestler and was going to ride around with him for the six months, just like I did in Florida, in Texas. And so we got to know Paul. You know, he's a nice guy. Not to, you know, he'd get help around a ring or he'd do some stuff, you know, we could pay him or, you know, he didn't have a job, but he was just there, you know, with, with his wrestling buddy. So Tombstone was getting ready to leave, say, August 25th. So, uh, and you get a two weeks, you know, it was all scheduled and all sanctioned by the wrestling office. And they were going to send him back to Baltimore or wherever he was going to go. And, he, and Paul Heyman came up to me because I was Dusty's assistant booker. So Paul comes up to me, says, Fonzie, you know Tombstone's leaving in two weeks. He says, do you think I can go to the ring with him and be his manager the last two weeks? You know, I've been here for four or five months and I've done everything you guys asked, got cokes, help with the room, whatever I've done. Yeah, I said, Paul, you know, you're a great guy. We love you. You're super nice. 
but you got a pair of Levi's. You've been dressing with a pair of Levi's with holes in them. You got a stank pair of Converse, and you go. You wear T-shirts. I says, you know, that's all. You can't go to the ring like. I said, can you get a suit? You got money to get a suit? I didn't know his father was mega attorney and lived in the most expensive real estate on the planet, Scarsdale, New York. You know what I mean? Uh, I didn't know he was wealthy. He says, oh, I can get a, I can get a suit. You know. It's okay, come with the suit, and we'll let you go to the ring with Tombstone. And uh, Tombstone was working with Scott Hall, not Razor Ramon. It's Scott Hall at the time. So Scott Hall would press slam, uh, you know, beat the guy every night because he was leaving. And he would press slam Paul Heyman at the end and all. But Paul Heyman came to the came to all dressed up in a suit. He looked beautiful, and he came with a freaking gimmick cell phone. Not a cell phone, but like a cordless phone for the house, you know, so that was his gimmick. He was like Paul Heyman with his, you know, a gimmick phone and, you know, so in a nice suit. And so he thanked me when he left. He said, oh, thank you so much for letting me come to the ring. I'll never forget to thank Swansea. I said, oh, you did a great job. Thank you. So the next thing I hear, I see, you know, we all stay in touch. He's a big star in AWA. He becomes a big manager, then... You know, I see him in Atlanta. We both working for Ted Turner. He's managing he's Paulie Dangerously, managing all these guys, recruit and a bunch of people. So we hit him. I said, "Man, you know, great, great friends." So to get to ECW, so I was in WCW. The Giant had finished up and went back to Argentina because his health started to fail. You know, he's diabetic. Giants don't live long anyway. Uh, Andre, God bless him, died at the age of forty-three. And the giant died at the age of 40-something, you know, 46 or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so he was getting sick, and he couldn't handle the road no more. So he went home and made plenty of money, made a lot of money. And that money was like twice as much in Argentina, you know. Mm -hmm. So he went home, and I stayed at WCW, I stayed at WWF. So finally, in 94, whatever it was, wrestling in general was taking a little down a little dive in their attendance. Vince came up to me and says, unfortunately, the business is down. You know, it's down 20% or whatever. We're going to uh, shave uh, our expense. And we're going to have to let you go. But, Fonzie, we love you. You're a hell of a referee. We think a lot about you. When we come to Florida, you can work all the Florida shows. And when business picks back up, you jump right back into your position. I said, thank you. And he gave me a beautiful umbrella, like in the severance pay, which was very nice. And I said, wow. So I go home to Florida. I get my notice. You know, and, uh, I go home to Florida. And now I haven't been off. I haven't been off. I worked full time for, you know, 12, 15 years or something. It was crazy without any time off. You know, uh, a week here, or, you know, a week there, but you don't have time off in wrestling because somebody to take your place. Yeah, you know, the money's so good. The money's so good that you, you know, you can't afford to take time off because you know you're gonna lose your job possibly. But you know, you get some time off, but it is, they don't kill you. But well, actually, they do. They beat you up on the road. It's tremendously hard, especially uh, uh, working for WWE and and WCW. I mean, you're nationwide so i go home and i'm happy as shit i'm home like a month maybe two months 
I'm on the tractor. I got five acres. I got orange trees. I'm happy as fuck. My house is paid for. I got a little money in the bank. This is the first time I've had off in so, you know, I've been off a week or two here and there, but no off for a month or two. You know what I mean? So I didn't know what to do with myself. I said, my God, this is great. So I'm home driving my tractor and the phone rings. It's Paul Heyman. I haven't talked to Paul in a while because he stayed in WCW and I was in WWF. Uh, so I said, hey, Paul. He said, oh, Fonzie, how you doing? Well, you know, I heard you left WWF. And said, yeah, man, I'm so happy I'm home. And I got it. He said, well, you want to do something? I have this company, ECW. I said, ECW? What the fuck's an ECW? Because I had never worked for an indie show in my life. No. Florida Temptures Wrestling, WCW, WWF, all Japan, you know, uh, so he says, well, this little company we're starting, and uh, since you just left WWF, I have this little angle I want you to do, and you come in for four weeks, we'll pay you well, we'll fly you in and out, and uh, be doing me a favor. I said, okay, sounds good. I was still on um, Monday Night TV, because they taped. Back then, they would do one live show and then two weeks of taping, and they would show those one live show. So next Monday would be a tape show. The following Monday would be a tape show. So I was still on TV when they brought me to ECW. The people kind of knew who I was because they're all smart marks in ECW, basically. You know, they know wrestling like, you know, Henry Ford knows his cars. <laughs> so. So, you know, I come in there, and Paul Heyman says, look, I want you to come in with your blue shirt, your bow tie, you're fresh off for WWF. He says, that's uh, family entertainment. They want the doctor, his wife, and his two kids sitting at ringside. They don't want 25, uh, 27-year-old kids sitting at ring. You know what I mean? We're hardcore with blood and guts and sex and violence and drugs and rock and roll. He says, well, I said, what do you want me to do? He says, I want you to be anti-violent, and you are affiliated with the Athletic Commission of Pennsylvania, which I kind of was a little bit. I had my license, you know, you had to get certified to be a referee in certain states, New York, Pennsylvania, so on. So, uh, so... I would go in, Jane Douglas brought me in, you know, to, uh, wrestling-wise, and, and he brought me in and said, hey, this is a conservative referee, and Shane was a wrestler. He wasn't about the violence and going through tables and all just stuff and Bob wire and all that bullshit. Uh, so Shane brought me in to kind of uh, take care of his matches. and do. So anyway, the people hated me because I was interrupting their violence. So a particular match was Ian Rodden and Axel Rodden had a feud going. They had been working this angle for months. They would have a Taipei death match where the hands are taped. They dip their hands in glue, then dip them in some type of broken glass. Then they have a match. So these people have been waiting for this match. The bell rings. I'm the special referee. The people know something's up so uh, one of the guys hit the other, and there was a little bit of juice, I mean, like a trickle of blood by his forehead and by his eye. I stopped the match three minutes into the match, say, due to the lack of vision because the blood, I'm stopping this match, no contest, 
and the people wanted to freaking kill me. They were legitimately waiting for this match. They know it's a work, but they want to see the work. They want to see the action. They want to see the blood and guts and tables. So when I stopped the match, they said, oh, my God. And 911 was supposed to choke Slappy because that's what all he did, uh, wrestling in 911. And then I was supposed to leave the territory. But anyway, uh, uh, to get to the how I got there is that's how I got there. But the, the angle got over so good. And I guess I did my role. I did my thing because I was a legitimate referee. People knew I was been around for a long time. And they fucking hated me. So that's when Paul said, well, Fonzie, we want to put you with Taz and make you a manager and so on. And they offered me some decent money. Uh, you know, and you only work Friday and Saturday. I said, damn, how sweet is that? And uh, so we worked out. And I went with Taz from, from refereeing to Taz. Then I went to the first pay-per-view and turned on Taz after a year. And went with Van Damme and Sabu. And I was there five years with the a top spot the whole five years. Absolutely, and you kind of mentioned it a little bit just then. You, um, you know, you made a, an amazing transfer, like transition from referee to manager, and then ultimately to performer. Um, and you know, I I watched uh, a little bit of you know some of your interviews and stuff before um, talking to you today, and it's I, I think it's not always. Um, said what's not always said about you is how good you were at inciting the the fans and um, and really getting them all riled up. But um, what was that transition like with you from referee to manager to performer? Like you had said that you'd wanted to wrestle growing up, but you know you knew you were 155 pounds. But were you was that like one of your favorite things to do in the wrestling your wrestling career was actually get to wrestle? Well. It happened all so fast, the transition. It kept transitioning from come in for four weeks and be a special referee and stop the violence. Then they hooked me up with Taz right away after the four weeks and boom, boom, boom. Said, Fuck, it happened so fast, I didn't have time to think about it. So I, I wasn't saying, oh, my God, I'm going to be a manager. I had already been in the business 15 or 18, whatever. I started in 1978 full-time in 1980s. I had been around a long time. This was May in 95 again. Um, uh, I started in Florida May 1980. Then in May in 95, I was in ECW. So the transition happened so fast, I didn't have time to think. But I did have a little trouble. Um, the only trouble I had was doing interviews. You know, Paulie was meticulous about the interviews. And, uh, I was doing like 10 takes. You know, I couldn't say, hey, next Tuesday night or uh, and, uh, Poughkeepsie, my man Taz is going to kick Sabu's ass and so on and so on. So I kept, kept having to do them over and over. Finally, uh, oh, this only happened for a short time. But Tommy Dreamer came up to me and said, Fonzie, I want you to treat it like a shoot, like it's real. I said, what? He said, yeah, you're going to go to Poughkeepsie and you guys are going to wrestle Taz. I mean, you and Taz are going to wrestle uh, Sabu. He says, just say what's going to happen. You know, I said, okay, let me try it again. So and I said, Saturday night, daddy, we're for Kipsy. And I hate for Kipsy because I, you know, I'm just, I like for Kipsy. And I hate for Kipsy. And, and Sabu, we're going to kick your ass. Blah, blah, blah. So I just said what was true. We're going to go to Poughkeepsie. 
I didn't particularly care. Uh, let's use um, Newark instead of Poughkeepsie because Newark's a, uh, uh, a dirty town. You know what I mean? Not yeah, one absolutely. of my favorite cities. You know, the smokestack. By, you drive by the airport on the interstate, and it sucks. You won't want to live there, right? Yeah. So I, so I would say, hey, in, in uh, Newark, New Jersey, daddy is. There's drama, bad prostitutes. That's the only thing I like about it is the strip clubs, Daddy. You know, so I started doing one take. They started calling me soon after Tommy told me to treat it like a shoot to say exactly what's going to happen. Uh, and then I, they called me one take Fonzie. And I've been one take Fonzie for, you know, since 95. That's incredible. And you mentioned, you know, you had such a, a long career in professional wrestling um, and still doing stuff today. Uh, what do you consider like some of your best career highlights um, in in the business? Uh, well, ECW for sure. I really enjoyed building that company. Help being a part of that company. Uh, I was instrumental after I was there for a while. Paul Heyman let me, uh, you know, help him in the office. Or Tommy Dreamer was his right hand man. I, I would say I was his third man you know what i mean or whatever but he let me you know start directing and help him and help him with the young guys i had a lot of respect when i walked into the dressing room in ecw when paul Heyman brought me in for that first two weeks i didn't know one guy in the dressing room you know there was mikey whiprack sandman tommy dreamer taz sabu all these guys said who the fuck are these guys i've never seen them you know they were nobody, but they were stars in ECW because Paul Heyman built them, but they didn't have any type of reputation. But they all knew me from, you know, I had been in the business already my whole, you know, for a long time. So these guys treated me with respect tremendously. Uh, so I was well-liked, and I loved the company, and I was a part of, you know, the first pay-per-view, and I did 21 pay-per-views, and I was uh, El Pauli with every one of them, which was great. Paul Heyman paid me really good. Um, another good thing, another peak in what I consider uh, a highlight was walking in Madison Square Gardens for the first time, which, you know, I've been there, you know, a dozen times or so, but now, but uh, first time was unique. Uh, getting a chance to travel, like, overseas, like to Japan. I've been to Japan 13 times. That was phenomenal. I, they brought me over to do the... 91 to do the Ric Flair Fujinami match, 65,000 people, just one match, and, you know, spectacular. Uh, I like that. I like going to Europe, working with Hogan and, and Yokozuna, um, stuff like that. A uh, uh, big thing for me was um, after I got, after I became a veteran after so many years, and what I liked was helping the young guys because a lot of guys, took me under the wing like Bobo Brazil, Jack and Jerry Briscoe, of course, Dusty, like a father to me. In fact, I told Dusty after a while, I said, Dusty, I wish you were my father. Because my father had passed away. And he said, I am your father's son. So I love that. That was a highlight of my career. Uh, being involved, being on TV all the time, uh, making my family. Oh, and making money was a really nice thing. It was really, it was a really good experience because you know, I didn't come from a poor family, but, you know, we weren't Paul Heyman money like his father, you know, big-time lawyer. My father was a school teacher and worked for the government and so on and so on. But, you know, we did well, middle class, but uh, so I was making more money than anybody in my family ever. 
you know, I was making six figures, which is fucking fantastic, brother. Uh, my first six figures. Oh, I got paid my first check in WCW when Dusty brought me in. My check was so fucking big, brother. For me, it was big. Not for you, it may not be that big. With Dusty, it may not be that big. For this uh, man, it may not be. But for me to get like a $8,000 check, you know, that, I said, so I didn't cash it. I took it to Dusty. I said, Dusty, I think they made a mistake. He, they paid me, look at this, eight grand. They paid me too much. He started laughing. He said, finally, you're going to make way more than that. He used to. I said, wow, are you kidding me? So that was a highlight of my career. You know, in the big check. And doing special matches and being really good at my craft and uh, being called out to do special matches and uh, world-renowned, uh, known world-renowned for being a spectacular referee and, and being an office guy and helping guys. Like, when I do these conventions, like, uh, not too long ago, I seen a wrestler, his name is Adrian Street. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't seen him since the 80s. So this was, you know, I'd seen him five years ago at a convention or something. He came up to me and says, Fonzie, oh my God, he hugged and kissed me. And says, Fonzie, if it wasn't for you, I would have never made it through the Florida Territory because he couldn't remember some things that I used to have, tell him what to do in the ring. Say, oh, you can do this, do that. So I got him through a lot of matches. And I got through a lot of guys like that. Ed DeBull Gantner, uh, many a guys, uh, Luger, uh, many a guys that I've got through. That was a highlight to pay it back and, and be um, get a pat on the back for being uh, great at my craft. You know, that was spectacular. When Vince McMahon said, oh, I've seen you, you're athletic, I really like you, and, oh, good for you. And that was a big, meaningful moment when the most powerful wrestling personality on the planet, there's nobody bigger than Vince, is there? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so either. For the biggest guy in professional wrestling to put me over, said I did a great, do a great job. I used to, that would my want to make me work harder. For instance, we were in, I think Green Bay, Wisconsin. We were doing the TV, and so we were going to do a pull apart with Tatanka and Bam Bam Bigelow in the dressing room area, in the hallway. Nobody could see her. This is pre-taped. Then they show it during the show. So, um, the, the angle was they was me. They were, were going to do a big angle and wrestle with each other for a few months. So they were going to do like uh, walk in the hallway and spot each other and start fighting, and then all the referees come pull them apart. That's commonly done, right? And all the time. So I didn't want you know all the referees, and I told Bam I wanted to do something a little more because I like to. Not to show off, but I like to be good at what I do and, you know, come up with things on my own. So I told, I said, Bam Bam, you see that trash can over there that's about 30 feet away or whatever, 20, 10, 15, 20 feet away? Said, yeah. I said, when we do the pull apart, usually the referees would get pushed around and then finally four referees would grab somebody by the waist and pull them apart. So I'm a little small guy. And I shouldn't be able to touch Bam Bam Bigelow. So when I ran up to Bam Bam, I said, Bam Bam, you get me and throw me into that trash can in the air like a like an airplane. And I'll hit the trash can, take a bump, make you look good. He said, okay, Fonzie, are you sure? I said, yeah. So here goes the angle. It's, it's, 
two cameras. Vince is standing there watching the angle. He's directing uh, several agents, Rene Goulet and, and uh, Tony Gurria and Pat Patterson. They're all there watching. So, because this is important shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I, I did the first Monday Night Raw. We'll get to that in a minute. But, uh, so here comes the pull apart. The two wrestlers lock up and they're fighting each other. You give them 10 seconds and then here come all the referees. He pushes off the referee. Bam, bam, pushes one off. The side pushes one off. I come in, bam, bam, grabs me and throws me through the air like a freaking bullet. <laughs> and I fly, get the trash can. It looks spectacular. It looks spectacular. I didn't get a scratch on me. I don't know how it happened, but I was really good at doing shit like that. So after cut, 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 that's a wrap. Vince came up to me and says, Fonzie, that was a great bump. Thank you. So that made me feel good. Another thing that made me feel good was the first night at the Manhattan Center for the first Monday Night Raw ever. So I hadn't been in New York too many times. I worked at one Madison Square Gardens. I've been so uh, we're doing this big thing. Nobody knew that Monday Night Raw was going to be the most longest running episode of TV thing consistently in the history of TV or whatever. You know, it's a big thing. Yeah. So with the first one, you know, it's a test or whatever, and Vince is, you know, putting it together. I don't know too much. But anyway, I know it's going to be a big deal. So I want to look good for multiple reasons. One reason, if I dress nice, and if I go to a Marriott and walk in and I got a pair of jeans on and nice shoes and a T-shirt, I walk up to the desk and say, oh, excuse me, uh, William Alfonso, get a reservation. Okay, we'll be right with you. But if I walk in and I got a beautiful suit, I got a Louis Vuitton bag and I'm wearing a Samaritan Rolex, they say, oh, Mr. Alfonso, we've been expecting you. How can we help you? You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Appearance and presentation is everything goes a long way in life. So anyway, first Monday Night Raw comes. So I said, let me dress beautiful. So I got a nice suit, got my Samaritan Rolex on, which, you know, about 2000 3000 back then. But I was making 120 grand, so, you know, I could afford one. Uh, I've got nice luggage. I walk in, and every remember the Zuba pants? Yes. Everybody was wearing those on the road and jeans and T-shirts and, uh, you know, so I walk in, I got a beautiful fucking designer suit on, fucking thousand dollar suit. Didn't have many of them, but I had a couple. Uh, I looked fucking spectacular. My hair was cut beautiful. And I walk in and Vince is at the ring. You know, there's a couple guys working out in the ring. It's like one o'clock. Uh, and Vince calls, Fonzie, come here. And he says, oh, you look great, Fonzie. Oh. And he calls. Earl Hebner, Dave Hebner, uh, Joey Morella, uh, Mike Mignone, and all the referees. All you referees come over here. All the referees come to Vince. We're all at ringside. Guys working out in the ring. And he says, hey, you guys see Alfonso's dress? That's how I want you to dress from now on, on the road, for any event, pay-per-views, any TVs, any big events. You dress just like that. So I said, oh, that's good. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I had heat with all the referees. I said, why you dress like that? Now we get to dress like that, you motherfucker. They were all <laughs> mad at me for You know what I mean? But I didn't give a fuck. I, I, dressing nice. You should dress nice. You're representing a multi-billion dollar company. 
you're on TV, and plus, when I walk into a room, I'm walking through the airport, and I'm looking fucking sharp, got a $1,000 suit, look fucking great. Who is that guy? They don't know I'm a referee. They don't know I'm not Hulk Hogan. I don't have blonde hair. I'm not too 30, big arms, you know. So they say, he's somebody. I wonder, he's so well-dressed. He looks so good. Damn, he's got to be something. That's not an ordinary guy, you know what I mean? So I like that. He's got me in a lot of doors. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, you you mentioned that you're down in Florida, and um, but we on the Northeast, we're actually going to get to see you uh, shortly. And uh, you're being brought up by uh, Eric Sims of ESS Promotions on September 21st. You're going to be at Legends of the Ring. And then on September 22nd, you're going to be at the Wrestling Universe. Is there anything that you want to tell your fans, the uh, people that are coming out to see you, um, anything that you want them to know before they come and see you? Yeah, of course I do, Daddy. Um, well, here's the deal. I have been off for a few years. I took some years off because I was burned out on the road. And I said, well, you know what I mean? So, and I, you haven't seen me in the Northeast on too many shows, have you? No, not really. You haven't seen me at any indie shows. You don't see me at Hardy. I think I might have done one or two conventions in the Northeast. I did a WrestleMania up there a while back. Yep. Uh, the convention, it was a while back uh, with me and Van Damme. And maybe one more at the ECW Reno when Tommy did a show there, the House of Hardcore. So I've been up there a couple of times in the last five or eight years. So it's good that I haven't been up there. So now the people haven't seen me in so long. You know, ECW had like an, a cult following. You know what I mean? So anybody who's affiliated with ECW automatically tagged in. Uh, and especially me, because I had a pretty dominant spot with Van Damme and Sabu and Taz. I had a really good spot. was in some really good matches. You remember the match that I had where I beat Beulah's ass? Oh, I remember. That's also the one where you lost uh, one-third of your blood. They had to rush me to the hospital. If I didn't lose all that blood, if it wasn't a spectacular, bloody, hell of a seven-minute match, we wouldn't be talking about it today. It would just be a little something that happened, you know what I mean? But since I almost bled to death, I had to get rushed to the hospital and lost a feeling in my head and 27 stitches and so on and so on. It, you know. So anyway, um, I have been in the Northeast. When I was with WCW, we worked everywhere but Madison Square Gardens. When I was in WWF, we worked everywhere in the Northeast, including Madison Square Gardens. When I was in ECW, I worked, we worked everywhere but Madison Square Gardens. We worked all the smaller venues all through the Northeast. So what I'm saying is I've met a lot of fantastic, very cool I'm not going to say wrestling fans, uh, uh, people in my travels when I was working for those three companies uh, in the Northeast, from Philly to uh, New Jersey to New York. There's a lot of great, great people, and I got a lot of love from those people. Now, I'm since I've started back a little bit and got on um, social media, immediately when I joined social media. I wasn't on social media until just four months ago, five months ago. I wanted to avoid it. I didn't want to... It's not that I didn't like wrestling, because I love 
professional wrestling. I love the sports entertainment business. It's been very good to me, Daddy. I mean, really good to me. But I just got burned out, so I needed some time. But now I'm back in it. Since I joined social media, I got a Facebook and uh, Instagram. Like, the first week, I got 5,000 people following me, which is tremendous. You know what I mean? So it's just growing and growing. So what I'm saying is, you guys haven't seen me for a long time. And those states, the, you know, Philly and uh, New Jersey and Pennsylvania and New York, have been so good to me. So good to me. Spectacular people. I've been in some spectacular situations up there. I love you guys so much. Please, if you come to the event, I'm working several little events there. I think I'm coming in on the 20th, and I'm working some little indie shows around New York, New Jersey, and stuff. It's on uh, on, uh, on Eric's website, and it's online, too. I post it on my social media, on uh, Instagram, and my Facebook. It's all the information on there about these few shows. Please, if you do attend these shows, please come up to me and say hello and let me thank you guys for being a part of your lives. Now, I've been doing shows all uh, in Ohio for a company in the last couple of months for a company called AIW. That's the Absolute Intense Wrestling, correct? Absolutely. And they are... They remind me of a young ECW. Uh, they're getting started. You know what I mean? It's hardcore. They got some all young guys. That I don't didn't know one of them by name. You know what I mean? The guys I've never seen before. It's like Paul Heyman creating all new stars again. Like I said, Van Dam. I mean, uh, uh, Taz and Sandman and Tommy Dreamer and Mikey Whiprack and all these guys. Who the fuck are those guys? Now they're big names, but before, you know, I didn't know them. But uh, I've been working in... So my point is working with, in, uh, and they put me with the RVD of AIW. His name is uh, Matthew Justice. He's really tough. Oh, my God, he's hardcore. He's beautiful. Got a great body. His two favorite wrestlers, what got him into professional wrestling, uh, were Van Damme and Sabu. So imagine how excited we were to meet each other. And he's on top. So it's like they're bringing me in to put me right with the top guy. And paying me really good for indie company, so uh, so my point is, the people, and the as the boys, all the wrestlers treat me like a superstar. Uh, the promoter treats me like uh, Don uh, Thorne is like a young Paul Heyman. Uh, he's treating me like a superstar. They fly me in, put me at the Marriott, so I can get uh, pay me well. I do my shit, and the people, they all the fans. Uh, a lot of ECW fans, they all come up to me. Oh, Fonzie, thank you. I met I was 11 years old watching. Now he's 33. <laughs> you know what I mean? They all got money now. Because when they were young, they were they watched me. And I, you know, so now they're all got money. They want to spend it. They, I was a part of their childhood. Or, you know, guys from 11 to, you know, 20, whatever. But uh, all those people come up to me all the time and put me over like I'm a superstar and, call and tell me all these things and that's just hard and it makes my heart feel good and I say hey we appreciate you coming I say well I appreciate you more when I sign an autograph or uh, a picture or something I'm giving more pictures away up there now I won't be giving away too many pictures when I come to the event September uh, mid-September the 20th 21st 22nd because I'm working for a company who's bringing me in but the AIW of 
you know, he's bringing a hundred pictures with me and and uh, give some out. And they can't believe how nice I. I'm not a nice guy. I, I'm just a good person. I believe in good karma. So yeah, why wouldn't I get a couple of pictures away to somebody who comes up and puts me over like a million dollars and been watching me for 25 years? You know what I mean? Cost me 88 cents if I can print a picture. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is, is that? And and they like that. They won't forget it. No. So my point. My whole point is to the people at the convention coming up. I mean, you're gonna have some big names in there. So I'm not in competition with them, but. When I do these shows with big names like Sting and Cactus Jack and all these big names, I get as, almost as much attention as they do. It's pretty uh, humbling for me and uh, pretty flattering when they come up to me and treat me like a superstar. It's is very fucking cool, Daddy. You know, so I just want to pay back. Please come up to me and say, hey, I heard you on the podcast the other day. Um, uh, you know, sit out, chat with me, you know, hang out for a little bit, and uh, we'll take it from there. Well, we are looking forward to it. We can't wait to come out and see you that weekend. Um, and we know you're very busy. We wanna we wanna let you go soon. Um, my last question for you is um, for anybody who's looking into getting into this business and maybe more specifically becoming a referee. What's the most important thing about being a referee? Be cool just like Fonzie, Daddy, and you have a job for life. <laughs> All right. Well, we want to thank you so much. Be sure and look up ESS Promotions, Eric Sims. Uh, follow Bill Alfonso on social media, and uh, and come on out and see him uh, in September, the 20th, 21st, and 22nd. Mr. Alfonso, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, we just we really do appreciate all that you've given for the world of professional wrestling. Yeah, thanks, Eddie, and, and I appreciate you having me on and let me plug uh, my shows and stuff. And Eric Sims is a fantastic uh, promoter. He's brought in super big names, and now he's bringing in me, and I'm glad that he's bringing me into New Jersey because I, you know, is one of my. Uh, the Northeast is one of my favorite places, you know, made uh, a lot of friends, and I love the Northeast. There's always big crowds, and I get a lot of uh, love there, so very cool to be coming back. It's almost like my second home. And even though I talk trash a little bit about Newark, I was only kidding. Actually, I love Newark, because they got great strip clubs there, Daddy. <laughs> well, uh, if we can't find you, then we'll know where you're at. Oh, man. Thanks again to Eric Sims and Fonzie. It's another great interview from ESS Promotions. Be sure to go to the Legends of the Ring. When is this great card there, Credo? Legends of the Ring. It's the the convention center. Is that Monroe, New Jersey? That is. It's happening on September 21st. It's a Saturday. Uh, and then they also have, uh, you know, the big event happening. Uh, he's got some other guests for that uh, in November. So maybe we'll talk to a few guys down the road. But ESS Promotions... Uh, check him out and check out all the guests he's bringing in over the next few months but guys if you're going to tune in next week anotherwrestlingpodcast.com like us follow us subscribe to us all the links are on the site uh leave us a review leave us some love uh but next week we have a ring of honor superstar joining us he actually joined us 
a few years ago, probably two years ago to be exact, we have on the mercenary, Flip Gordon. We're going to catch up with him and what he's been up to over the past few months. Uh, so stay tuned for that, guys. The guests are back. It's happening. But, guys, uh, maybe we could start this as a new segment or something. But any last word uh, of the week that happened, that happened since last week? Any last words from you guys? Yeah, yeah. I want to throw a shout-out to Harambe real quick. You know. <laughs> no. All right. I, I want to say this about the uh, NXT UK card. Uh, an amazing, amazing from top to bottom. And I, and I want to throw it out there. They did that show without two of their big guns. There was no rear Ripley. Mm, and, right. and, and, the, and the Bruiserweight was not on the card. So that's pretty impressive that you have a second developmental territory. And you didn't use all your big guns. And, and that show was fantastic. And when I saw Rhea Ripley last week, I just finally got caught up. We just watched this week's NXT and I saw last week's episode. Rhea Ripley and regular NXT, they're starting to beef up that roster a little bit. Mm. And you're starting to see uh, a little bit more of these guys from under. I'm really excited to see uh, the, the next few weeks what's going to happen for NXT. And I can't wait for it to go live. And you're speaking of NXT, tonight's NXT's main event. Or whenever you're listening to this, this past episode of NXT with Adam Cole. Oh versus, my god, yeah. Uh, what, what is his name? Jimmy. Miles. He was the winner of that tournament. Yeah, was it Jimmy Jordan Miles. Miles. Jordan I Miles, keep, that's right. I keep thinking of his other name, um, which I can't get off the top of my head. But Jordan Miles, who was in Ring of Honor, who was in Evolve, now earned his number one contendership by winning the breakout tournament. Matt, um, that match with him and Adam Cole was definitely, if you have not, that is my must-see match of this week. Besides the Pete Dunne, and Walter main event. If you've seen that, go watch NXT and watch was, wasn't Adam Pete Dunne. Wasn't Pete Dunne. Wasn't Pete Dunne. I apologize. It was I not thought, Pete Dunne. Was, was that keep, uh, Mr. Smiley? Tyler Bate, Tyler Bate. There you go. I keep, for some reason, I always say Pete Dunne when I mean Tyler Bate. I don't know what it is. Because they run in that same group. You know, all the, all the, as Credo would say, all those UK guys, they all look the same. <laughs> well kind of uh but either <laughs> either way guys uh once again another great week guys the weeks are picking up uh wrestling is is picking up for this, this last half of the year so it's exciting to be a wrestling fan and uh hopefully you join us for that ride on another wrestling podcast